Today's gospel lesson comes from Luke, chapter 20, verses 27 through 38. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife with no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her, and so in the same way all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, these are your words, not ours. So we pray that as we think about them and contemplate them, that you would give us new insight, new insight that would change us, O oh God. All these things we pray, amen. So I have felt really, really, really blessed that none of our three children, when they were little, asked a bunch of the why questions. They did occasionally, but they were never the kind that, that inundated us with why, 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 why. I don't know if they figured we wouldn't know the answer, <laughs> so they didn't even bother, <laughs> or what. <laughs> Whatever the reason, they never hassled us with a bunch of the why, why, whys. I paid for it dearly when I started a fifth and sixth grade youth group and it wasn't so much with the why, 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 but more so with the what if scenarios. There was this one young lad in particular that I absolutely loved having him in youth group and his whole entire family was a huge supporter of youth programs. But I really grew a little tiresome during youth group when there would be time for questions. I learned that if I allowed a lot of time or room for questions, inevitably this young man would come up with at least one or two or 20 what-if questions. For example, Dirk, you know how Jesus walked on water and they wore sandals all the time? What if Jesus wore Air Jordans? Could he jump across the water? <laughs> hey, Dirk, you know how, 
after Jesus was crucified and died on the cross and then he was sealed up in the tomb and then rose from the dead and how, how the disciples were locked away in the upper room and how he appeared to them? What if he could teleport and that way he wouldn't lose any time during the day and he could show up in my room and in robes and stuff like that? That'd be really cool. was non-stop. And every time I experience these verses from our gospel text, I can't help but think about him. He would have loved the what-if scenario the Sadducees presented to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, you know how Moses told us that if a man dies and leaves behind a wife but no children, that woman should marry her, uh, his brother and should keep on marrying all the brothers until there's a child? What if there's never a child and she dies too? Since she's been married to all of these brothers, who will she be married to when she dies and is resurrected? I wonder if Jesus rolled his eyes like I always wanted to. <laughs> The setup for today's lesson actually comes a few verses before. In verse 19 and 20, the Sadducees' frustration with Jesus had reached a boiling point, and they wanted to catch him saying something that would damage his reputation and thwart his growing popularity among the people. Those verses described how they sent agents who were disguised as honest men to hear him say something that the Sadducees could use to turn him over to the authorities. The verses you heard this morning are from their second attempt to capture Jesus teaching something contradictory to that of Moses, and then they could bring charges against him and get rid of him legally. Church, you and I have to understand a few things about the Sadducees. Probably first and foremost, they were few in number, but they were part of the political ruling class, and because of that, they had access to a lot of wealth. They wanted things to stay the way they were. Nice and calm, and everyone knew their place in society. And because of this, they were often collaborators with Rome. Secondarily, they were staunch, staunch, staunch believers in the written word only. The written word only. And the written words of Moses in particular. The oral tradition that the Jews were so fond of, the rich and meaningful lessons learned through community storytelling meant nothing to them. They believed that there was no resurrection and that free will had more to do with their future than anything God could do for them. I learned a little phrase about 20 year, years ago that I've always found incredibly helpful when I think about the Sadducees. And it goes something like this. They're sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. I've used that over and over and over again to help me think about the Sadducees and how their interaction with Jesus was tainted with their belief that what Jesus represented meant nothing. 
the Sadducees didn't believe in a life after death, that people would be resurrected from the dead and an incredible, awesome, glory-filled life awaits once they have been resurrected. So it's really strange that they, of all people, would be asking a legitimate question about resurrection, unless they were up to no good. In Deuteronomy 25, 6 through 10, Moses prescribed the Levitical marriage practices for a married man who dies childless. The practice was intended to perpetuate the dead brother's name among the living community. The snare the Sadducees were hoping to set was that Jesus would come out and say that Moses was wrong. If the Sadducees could get him to say that Moses' Levitical marriage law was ridiculous because the deceased brother already lived on and there wasn't a need for all this remarrying stuff, well, then they would have him right where they wanted him and victory would soon be theirs. The dilemma was this. If resurrection were possible, if it actually happened that after death there was new life, then the idea of the Levitical marriage laws, which were designed to keep the deceased name alive, were pointless. The deceased brother, regardless of any offspring, would already still live on in the community just in a different way. But to deny the very written words of Moses was essentially an affront to God and worthy of being turned over to the authorities. They had hoped that Jesus would take their bait, hook, line, and sinker. Jesus did take the question seriously, and like all the other snares that were set to capture Jesus, this one backfired too. Rather than dismiss the sacred written law of Moses that they so loved, Jesus shifted the playing field, and he did that by contrasting the two ages. In verse 34, this age belonged to the earth. It was a temporal, tangible, what we see is what we get kind of age, and there was no thought of looking past their own deaths. In verse 35, that age belonged to those who were deemed worthy of it, and those deemed worthy of it were those who believed that their own life didn't end once they died. For the Sadducees, death was the final scene. There was no resurrection because they lived in this age. For Christians, death was the end of this age and the beginning of the next, that age. In classic throw-it-back-in-your-face fashion, Jesus directed their attention to their Jewish patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Scripture says that Moses himself spoke of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, all of them all long dead in this age. 
But since they were alive and well in the next, God was their God, the God of the living, not the God of the dead, because for God, all of them were still alive. God is God of those who continue to live with God. Jesus' rebuttal was brilliant because he used Moses, the very figure the Sadducees used, to support his own defense. His defense, God is God of the living, even those who seem to be dead to us. There must be a resurrection since God, in the Scriptures, defined God's self as one who continues in relationship. God is not in a relationship with a dead Abraham or a dead Isaac or a dead Jacob. Why would that be a thing, to relate to anything that was dead? Would any of you keep watering a dead plant? Probably not. God is God of the living, and they're alive in a way that we here on earth cannot see or understand, but one that we can anticipate. Friends, this is the good news. It's great news that right here and right now, God is the God of us. It's great news that when we are no longer a part of this world and we move on to the next, we will still be alive and connected and in relationship with the same one who will still be God of us then. God is a God of the living. There's comfort in knowing that God still Even in a way that we don't know about yet, a way that we cannot comprehend, God still wants to be in a relationship with us. It's mind-boggling, isn't it, that God is so in love with us that our own death here in this age will not prevent Him from doing that. Since God is God of the living, let us live today like we belong to God. Let us celebrate, let us rejoice, let us give ourselves to God and to one another. Hey church, what if we tried to not get so caught up in living in this age like the Sadducees did, that we forget about the promises of a resurrected life that is literally full of God's undying love for us. What if we allowed God to be our God here, in this place, so that we live the kind of life here that anticipates the next If we did, would we have to change anything? Would you pray with me? 
Gracious God, would we have to change anything if we lived a life here right now that anticipated the joy and the happiness and the love that awaits us in the next age? God, if there are changes that we need to make in our life, help us. Reveal them to us so that we can be fully yours in this place now, so that others around us might know the good news that awaits them in your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all of these things. And all God's people said, amen. Mm -hmm.